0: Would you pray with me? Oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We ask now for ears to hear, for hearts to believe, and the will to put these things in action. I ask that you would give me the grace I need to speak your word plainly. And that you Holy Spirit your Holy Spirit would nourish us and teach us the ways of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year 2099, when a future generation marks the 300th anniversary of God's planting of Middlesex Presbyterian Church, what do you want us to be remembered as? What do you want us to be? Now in the year 2099, let's be frank, most of us here today will have long since left this earth. And even the youngest of us in the year 2099, they will be nearing the end of their lives. Those who are the youngest among us now, at the 300th marking of the founding of this church, will be considered senior citizens what do we want to be remembered as what do we want to be what do we want to become now maybe that's 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 kind of far off in the distance what about 30 40 or 50 years is that still too far let's bring it down what about 20 years from now 10 5 what do we want to be what do we want to become What do we want our legacy to be? What do we want our reputation to be? What do we want to be known for? We want to be known as a culture of Christian love, a place of Christian love. If we set our hearts upon anything else, we will go very far astray from what God intended in 1799 when He planted us. We must create a culture of Christian love. And and frankly, that's the message for any church. I could change the date of the founding of the churches and, and preach this message anywhere in the world. That's something you have to understand. That the message, if it's biblical, preach to a particular congregation, change a few nuances, you should be able to preach it anywhere else. Because all churches are basically the same. They have sinners in them. Most of them meet in a building. Some have thousands of people and some only have a handful in a house. But they function the same if they are a biblical church. So I have to ask you, is is this what you want? Do you want us to be known as a culture of Christian love. Why should we bother? Why should we think that creating a culture of Christian love should be our top priority? Well, think of this. 1 John 4 tells us, God is love. That is the only time in Scripture where a brief statement like that gives us one quality stating that that is what God is. Now God has many other qualities. We know that holiness, etc., etc., etc. eternity, perfection. It's all in your catechism. God is love. And if God is love, then it makes perfect sense that genuine Christian love is what we're after. Without Christian love, a church isn't a church. And it's not Christian. Uh, did you look in the mirror this morning? You know, to shave? comb your hair, do something? Some of us didn't have to look in the mirror to comb our hair, but you know we had to look in the mirror to shave. What did you see? Did you see yourself or did you just see somebody else? Now if you saw somebody else in that mirror, please see me in my office right after the service. Because when you look in the mirror, you're supposed to see yourself. Now, if God is love, then when people see a church, a particular congregation, they had better see a culture of genuine Christian love, or it's not a genuine article. One of the main reasons why we need to intentionally focus upon creating a culture of Christian love is so that we can reflect who God is like a mirror reflects our face. That's reason number one. Second reason is because that's ultimately will cause the downfall of ancient Israel. You ever think about why Israel was destroyed? Oh, they were destroyed for a lot of reasons. Well, basically, it was lack of love. They broke the law of God over and over and over. They ignored it. You remember the scribe who at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' life, came to him and said, Master, what are the two greatest commandments? You know the answer, Right? The first is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. On this, all of the law hinges. Israel broke the law. Now the book of Amos particularly is one of the earliest of the prophets. He preached at a very early date in ancient Israel's history. And he has some scathing things to say about what we would call social injustice. Now bear in mind that he is talking about Israelites and how they are treating Israelites. Not how Israelites are treating Assyrians, but how the community itself, how the covenant community itself at that time was treating each other. Listen to this. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore the prudent keeps silent at that time, for it is an evil time. This is not talking about 20th century America. This isn't talking about judges in our court system taking bribes. This is talking about the elders of Israel perverting the law of God. This is talking about Israelites showing unlove to other Israelites. And in case you missed it, what God said, He's not very pleased about that at all. Now you might be thinking, well, Pastor you know, Amos was written in the mid-700s B.C. What exactly does that have to do with us here? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul makes it clear that we're ancient Israel is to be used as a teaching tool of the way not to do things. If you want to know as a group how not to do things, you simply open up your Old Testament historical books and start reading. You'll find out how not to do things. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul gives a brief catalog of some of Israel's major mess-ups, some of the major places they completely blew it. And he writes, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And a few verses later he says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. You see... The ancient Israelites, particularly the leaders, those in charge, they were showing horrific, nasty, unlovable behavior, especially towards those who were downtrodden. If you want to get God extremely angry with you, all you've got to do is not take care of widows and orphans. I promise you, your life will derail and you will come under, not the thumb of God, you will come under the boot of God and He will stomp you. That's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament as well. Taking care, showing love to those who cannot take care of themselves is a mark of true Christian love. I'm not talking about people who can take care of themselves. I'm talking about people who cannot take care of themselves. For whom it is impossible. For whom pain and sorrow are the bread of life. We have to create a culture where they are shown love. Israel forgot Leviticus 9, 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Another reason we need to create a Christian of culture and love is because Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says that Christ is the express image of his person. In Colossians 1 says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. So we see that Christ is the image of God. So as the image of the invisible God, he speaks for God. He is the Word of God. So what he says is law. Now right before his arrest and betrayal, right before everything is going to go down, when his passion is going to begin, in John 13 he says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another Even as I have loved you, ye also love one another. Now, if Christ is the image of God, and we are created in the image of God, as Genesis 1 and 2 makes very plain, and Christ loved us, then we must love each other. If not, we're wasting our time completely. Just go home, we're wasting our time. That is what I mean by creating a a culture of Christian love. That we love each other. Do you know who, who each other is in this case? It's the people in the pews next to you and on the other side of the church. Those who are absent for one reason or another. Those who call themselves what I call middle sextonians. This is talking about us today. Do we need to show love to unbelievers? Yes. Other Christians? Absolutely. But I am talking about Middlesex Presbyterian Church creating a culture of Christian love. Now, if you want to build a Chevy, you need Chevy parts, right? I'm going to look over here at my mechanics. You need Chevy parts, right? Now, a Ford fan, if you want to build a Ford, you have to have Ford parts, correct? I want to correct. If you take VW parts, German VW parts, and Chevy parts and Ford parts, and someone's going to say, yes, I could actually do that, Pastor. We'll throw in Audis. We'll throw in uh, AMC parts. They're pretty hard to find these days. Uh, throw in Edsel parts. Are you Are going to be able to make a car? Maybe. But it's going to be unlikely. Stop whispering, you mechanics. I see you doing it. It's possible, but it's going to be looking like Frankenstein's monster. In order to create a culture of Christian love, we've got to be Christians. Let me make this clear. Just because you sit in a pew every Sunday does not mean that you are a Christian. Just because you've been on the roll of a church for Uh, One year, a month, a hundred years, if you live that long, doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian. Only God knows your heart. And it's my duty to call each and every one of us, including myself, to evaluate our lives and our hearts. So, are you a Christian? Have you received and rested upon Christ alone for salvation? Are you basing nothing of your eternal destiny on what you have to bring to the table? Because listen to me very carefully. Nobody you've ever met, including your pastor, has anything to bring to that table. That's what this table behind me represents. The fact that we don't have anything to set out. We don't have the right china. We don't have the right silverware. We don't have the food. We don't have the water. We don't have the coffee. We don't have dessert. We have nothing. We don't even have nothing but, well, bad grammar. We have nothing. Not even junk food. Christ, and Christ alone, is our salvation. Have you received Christ? If you haven't, do it today. Don't wait until after the service. Do it now. But if you are a Christian, I don't want you to go crazy with paranoia either, all right? You need to figure out between you and God through the Word of God where you stand with Him. And if you believe on Christ, thou shalt be saved. It's very simple. It's very simple. That confession of sin, if you meant it, you're there. By creating a Christ- culture of Christian love, we can change Middlesex Presbyterian Church. We need to change. Did you hear what the pastor said last Sunday? He said that Middlesex Presbyterian needs to change. Did you hear that? Guess what? This is earth-shattering news. Every church you've ever walked through needs to change. Every single one. John Calvin, who I cannot imagine what that man could have done with exceding to take away his migraines, the internet and modern heating and plumbing. What he did in the 16th century is nothing short of astonishing. God gives the church, someone like John Calvin, once every 500 or 600 years. There there aren't any John Calvins cruising around at the moment, I assure you. There are some who think, "Eh, actually, most people, they kind of tread lightly around comparing themselves to Calvin. But Calvin said the church always needs to be reforming, always needs to be changing. There is no such thing as non-motion. A church, or a family, or an individual, you're either going forwards, backwards, or sideways. We always need to be changing. Every church, that's it's nothing new. When we went on vacation you know, two weeks ago, I was excited, my family's sick today, they have sore throats. I was excited that the kids wanted to go to church. Usually on vacation. They're in Florida. Now, I had gassed them up a little bit because I had told them, we're going to go to a different kind of church. We're going to go to a crazy church. We're going to go to a rock and roll church. Big church. I want you to see something completely different. So I'm looking around, and I said, oh, I've got it. This is, this is as far removed as anything the PCA could ever dream of putting together. But then I started reading a little bit. I'm like, okay, that's because it's a cult. Um, we're not this, no, 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 no. We can go to a different denomination, but these people are a cult, okay? There's enough evidence there. So I found a Southern Baptist church. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, "Man, that's not all that much different, you know? That's not all that much different." Well, this was. This was. was called, what was it called? Church of the Vine. The Church of the Vine. It's a Southern Baptist Church. They didn't call themselves Southern Baptist because that, you know, makes you think of, you know, well, I could pass as a Southern Baptist if I put on the accent. But it was a contemporary service. It's kind of a new work, a couple of years. We walked in there. And I thought, oh, okay. Now, as a pastor, we're, I'm taught in seminary that you know, when you're on vacation and you're listening to a man preach, take you know, you have got to be a guy in the pew. It's not easy. It's not easy for a preacher to sit in a pew and listen to somebody else speak because. Well think of your field and you're watching somebody do it and you're thinking, You're doing that wrong. Okay, just can I help you out just a little bit here? And here's what's interesting. This is one of these cool modern hip churches. Pastor had on jeans, you know, a hiking boot kind of shoes. Nice designer t shirt and, and a cat, and he had a sport coat on. He's cool, he's hip. You know? They got their little praise band going on, and the drums were so loud, okay, so loud that you could not hear anything but the drums. And they were behind a plexiglass cage. The building was small, it was literally, if you were to take just our center pew, that's what it was. Pews, right there. That's how, how big the church. Ear-splitting. Words up on the screen. Bunch of praise songs, and then a message. And he's sitting down. I'm thinking, man, dude, get up off that bar. He's on a bar stool. I'm saying, dude, get off that bar stool. They had communion. Now the message was was fine. It didn't say anything crazy. What was strange about it is he didn't talk about Christ. He didn't ask people if they were saved. This is a a hip, cool church. This is what they were going for, the vibe. Nobody said hello to us. Now, in Orlando, they're probably used to getting a lot of tourists but a lot of tourists don't go to church on Sunday. And even if we were just tourists, you should still say hi to us. They all knew each other. They're cruising around with their coffee cups. They had their little, little coffee shop in the back of the little sanctuary. You know, everybody's cruising around. Not a single person said hi to us. A cool, modern church loud wow, drums doesn't mean they have a culture of Christian love. Of course, I was very happy afterwards when my daughter said, his sermon wasn't nearly as deep as yours are, Daddy. And they had communion. They did communion wrong. Now, we took communion because it's okay if you take communion. It's not my responsibility that they they did it wrong. Jason said, "Uh, he didn't warn people. He didn't warn them. He walked up. They did in tincture. A little unorthodox. You can't do it in PCA, but you're not going to go to hell if you do in tincture where you dip the little thing in there. He he didn't warn them about the danger. He didn't tell them they had to be Christians or anything. They missed all kinds of steps. I was like, "You, you go, boy. But what struck me is they didn't say hi to us. Even as we were leaving. As we were coming in, one guy who was leaving the other service, said, y'all have a good week. That that was it. Now I want you to think, because it's easy for us to be hard on ourselves. If there's a new face at Middlesex Presbyterian Church this morning, would you say hello to them? Yeah, you would. It's easy for us to think, you know what, We're we're not a loving church. We don't have this culture of love. Well, we do. We do. I want you to know that we do have that. We just have to keep pushing and making it bigger and better. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is really the key to the whole thing. I, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Those of you who are married, who of you had, did you have any part of 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Show me your hands. I see a couple. I have to be honest with you, I can't remember. But that's our secret, right? (laughs) I remember the advice my father-in-law gave me during the sermon, but I don't remember the exact scripture readings. 1 Corinthians 13 has some secondary applications to a Christian marriage, but in reality, it doesn't have anything to do with Christian marriage. You could not find a church that was more messed up than 1st Presbyterian at Corinth. You go home and read the first six chapters, and you're, you're, you're in a horror movie of a church. These people were so hateful, nasty, bitter, divisive, and unloving to each other that God killed some of them because they were observing the Lord's Supper with the people that they hated. That's as crazy as you can get as a church. We are nowhere near that. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you get warm inside, don't you? That's a warm thing. That's why it's read at weddings. Nobody reads Isaiah 39 at weddings. It's rough stuff. Judgment. If if love was the answer for the crazy church at Corinth, then love is the answer for us. Comparing us, Middlesex Presbyterian Church, to First Presbyterian Corinth, you can't. It would be like comparing a neighborhood like Squirrel Hill or Beverly Hills to... Um, literally like a third world shanty town. That's how crazy and insane these people were. Paul had to write four letters to them. We only have two. They were unloving. And if love was the cure for them and they were that messed up, then love is the cure for us and we're not nearly that messed up. There's a very famous business teacher named Peter Drucker. And he has this famous phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What he meant was that it's okay to have strategy in a corporation. But if your culture isn't matching your strategy, oh well, it's not going to work. So as a church, we can devise all kinds of 20-year vision plans, all kinds of strategies to do this and that. But if we don't have that culture of love, it won't work. But I'm going to give you one or two strategies very quickly, okay? In 2015, I want 100 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. We got a decent amount over there. I want 100 next year. I want 100. We have to get our children involved in this so the children can realize that they've been given a whole lot and that there's other children who don't have anything. So we need to have a meeting and ask our young people, Hey, if your daddy made $3 a day and he couldn't buy you anything, what would you want to get? We can start stockpiling them throughout the year. We have plenty of room in the CE building downstairs. CE building, plenty of unused room, and then we can have a shoebox party. We can make it a youth event. I think we've done that in the past. We can have bowling parties. We can have pizza parties. But that's the type of thing. Next year, for the lighthouse, I want to not to be able. Turn around. See the three men on the back pew there. Handsome group of fellows. I don't want to be able to see them next year. I want so much food back there that you can't see them. That's what I'm talking about. That type of commitment. That many cans of tuna and Del Monte green beans. Create a culture of Christian love. Christ commanded it. We don't have a choice. Would you pray with me? Lord our God, we thank you that you have brought us thus far. And we ask you to help us to keep going. In Jesus' name, amen.